Is Jesus looking forward? We're in Mark chapter 5. If you would uh, like to turn there with me, for the last couple of months, we have sort of worked our way through the gospel of Mark. I had no intention of doing a series, but you know, once you kind of get on a roll, you want to stick with it. So we're just sort of working through Mark, not quite covering every story, probably about 80, 85% of what we see there uh, we're covering. And we find ourselves in Mark chapter 5, and uh, we're going to see in this passage of scripture, beginning in verse 21, the kinds of people that Jesus is looking for. Now, the Marines used to have a saying, I'm not sure if they still use it, but that they were looking for a few good men, right? So who's Jesus looking for? I did some Google searching this week, and apparently the Army has a series of tests that they use to determine who can serve among their ranks. And aside from medical tests and those sorts of things, they conduct something called the Army Combat Fitness Test. Now, I'm not an expert in these matters, and I only Googled it, so uh, bear with me. But apparently, if you want to pass that test, you have to conduct six different exercise, um, exercise activities. You have to be able to deadlift a certain amount of weight. You have to be able to throw a 10-pound medicine ball in a certain fashion. You have to be able to do two minutes worth of a certain kind of push-up. You also have to be able to do a drill where you sprint, and then you drag a weighted sled, and then you carry two heavy objects, and then you sprint again. You also have to be able to hang from a pull-up bar while you lift your legs for so many minutes, and then you also have to be able to do a two-mile run. And people who can do that are the kinds of people that the army is looking for, all right? So who is Jesus looking for? Now, we read earlier in our service from John 1 about people like Andrew and Nathaniel and Simon Peter, and we saw pretty quickly those were the kinds of people that Jesus was looking for. Well, here in Mark chapter 5, we're going to learn about a few other people, and we're going to discern three characteristics of the type of people that Jesus is looking for. Let's just read the passage. It's a wonderful passage. The Gospel of Mark is very good in the sense that there's very little wasted or uh, extraneous material. Um, Mark always gets right to the point. Let's look then at Mark 5, verse 21. As we read a couple of stories here that are intertwined, we're going to meet some different people. As we meet them, be asking yourself, what is it about this person that suits them to be the kind of person that Jesus is looking for? Our passage says, when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet. And he implored Jesus earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be, she may be made well and live. And so he went with him. Jesus now on his way to this man's house. As he went, we read this detail, a great crowd followed him, and they thronged about Jesus. There was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, who had suffered much under many physicians. She had spent all that she had. She was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and so she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. She said, even if I touch his garments, I will be made well. 
Immediately, the flow of blood dried up, and she felt she could tell something had happened, that her body was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd, and he said, Who touched my garments? His disciples said to him, Well, you see this crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? Almost as if they were saying, Jesus, everybody's touching you. We're all bumping up against each other. Jesus looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him. And she told Jesus the whole truth. And Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Now, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house. Remember, Jairus, the man whose daughter was dying. There came from his house some who said, Your daughter is dead, so why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. Let me say those words again. Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except for Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, uh, but sleeping. Well, they laughed at him, but he put them all outside. He took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, and he went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, Jesus said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And then Jesus, as he often did early in his ministry, he strictly charged that no one should know this, and he told them to give her something to eat. Amen. What, a, what an amazing passage of Scripture. The kinds of people that Jesus wants. The kinds of people that Jesus is looking for. Brother and sister, I hope you can see something of yourself in these kinds of people because this is who Jesus is looking for. Let me share with you this morning three characteristics of this type of person. Three characteristics of the person that Jesus reaches, the person that Jesus heals, the person that Jesus changes their life, absolutely and forevermore. Three characteristics. Number one, what kind of person is Jesus looking for? He's looking for people who are shameless. Shameless, which is to say people who are willing to lay down their pride and come to him, even if they don't have anything in their hands to offer him. They're not so much worried about what other people are thinking. All they're concerned with is this Jesus that I've heard about. He's the only one that I think can help me. I need Jesus, and I'll do anything I can to get to him. People who are willing to lay down their pride are the people that Jesus is looking for. I saw a picture yesterday online. I'm not sure what it was in reference to. I just saw a picture, and it was of a man holding a pistol, and he was pointing it at his foot. And then it hit me. You know, the old saying, shooting yourself in the foot. 
there's a lot of people who have shot themselves in the foot because they weren't willing to lay down their pride. But if you're going to come to Jesus, that's exactly what you must do. Now, why do I say Jesus is looking for people who are, who are shameless? Well, when you look at this ruler of the synagogue, this was a man who was greatly respected in his community. He was, it's not exactly the same, but he would have been considered sort of one of the ministers there in the synagogue. Okay, the synagogue was not the temple. This man was not a priest, but it was a meeting house for the people of God where they conducted something that would probably be, if you're to compare the ancient Jewish practice to the modern Christian practice, they did something there most comparable to what we do when we come here on Sunday mornings, okay? They, they worshiped together, they looked at scripture together, and then someone like this man, Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, probably would have offered some sort of a sermon or something akin to what we do when we conduct preaching in our worship services. This man was shameless in the sense that he didn't have any ego or any pride. All of that flew out the window when he realized how great his need was and that Jesus was the only one who could meet that need. And so what I want to ask you this morning is, are you willing to lay aside your pride so that Jesus can do something in your life. Let me tell you, when Jesus shows up and knocks on our door, whether you've never been saved or whether you've been saved for a long time, when Jesus shows up and wants to do something in your life, if he senses pride, let me tell you, he packs up his stuff and moves on down the road because he doesn't work in our lives when we puff out our chests and say, oh, I'm pretty good. Jesus, he, he, he meets opposition there that he ain't got time for, okay? Jesus is looking for folks who will lay their pride down and say, nope, Jesus, I need you more than I need my pride. And so this man was shameless in terms of several different things we notice here in the details of this story. He was, first of all, shameless in terms of his position, right? He was, he was kind of a higher up among the people that he worked with, a ruler, in the synagogue is what our passage says. A ruler was an important and a highly respected position, usually reflecting an individual with a fair measure of material wealth. That was this man, and yet he came, threw himself down in the presence of the Savior, imploring him earnestly to save his little girl. He was also shameless in terms of public opinion, he wasn't worried about what people thought about him. You have to remember, we read this story and we go, well, yeah, of course it makes perfect sense to throw yourself down at the presence of Jesus. They weren't sure who he was yet. He still had quite a few enemies. There was a strongly divided opinion as to who this Jesus was. And so to come before him in this shameless manner was a way in which, in which this man says, I don't care what people have to say. I don't care what they think. This is who I believe Jesus is. I'm going for it. And he laid down his ego, and we see what the result was. Our passage says there was a great crowd gathered about Jesus, and this man was not at all ashamed to let others see his trust in Christ. Let me offer a word of warning to you today. A lot of us, I believe, want to be spiritual, but not too spiritual, right? We want to be spiritual enough that we got a pretty good idea. You know, I think I'm going to go to heaven. I mean, I'm not trying to build that on my works, but, you know, 
I've got enough experience with the Lord and the church. I sort of know how this works, okay? But we don't want to be so spiritual that somebody might be tempted to think, oh, they're one of those holy rollers, right? We want to be spiritual, but not too spiritual. We want to be just spiritual enough that maybe one day when our friends read our obituary in the newspaper, there's a line that says, this person also loved the Lord and was a member of the Southside Baptist Church. So we want to be spiritual enough for that but not spiritual enough that we don't care what people think. We're going to go after Jesus. This man was shameless, even as regarding public opinion. Notice finally he was shameless in terms of his petition, which is to say he asked Jesus and begged him. That's what the language implored him earnestly means. He begged Jesus to heal his daughter When was the last time you begged God for something? Let me think about that. When was the last time you begged God to move, to respond? To to, to beg conveys a certain measure of urgency, passion, and desperation, all of which this man put on brilliant display. This man was shameless, laying down his pride. Who was Jesus looking for? He was looking for people like this. Who else was he looking for? What what other characteristic can we learn from these stories? Notice with me, secondly, Jesus is also looking for people who are hopeless. That is to say, when they come to him, after having tried everything else and seeing it didn't work, they come to him with nothing to offer other than to say, you're my only hope. I have no other hope next to you. People who have tried everything else and are now at the end of their rope. This is the woman with the issue of blood. For 12 years, this disease had so affected her, disconnecting her from her friends, her family, her community, making her ceremonially unclean in the eyes of the Jewish faith and its legal requirements. This woman had nothing left in which to place her hope. In fact, she won't even come face to face with Jesus as there's tons of people around him. She sneaks up behind him, almost like the last thing that she could try and just touches him. Such hopelessness and yet also such faith on display, knowing that only Jesus could meet the greatest need in her life. This woman was hopeless in terms of her health. For 12 years, our passage says, she had suffered much. She had been to many physicians. She tried everything she could. Now, some of you have experienced suffering in your health. Some of you have felt hopeless before in the presence of disease or cancer. We bring those things to Jesus. He is where we place our hope. She was hopeless in terms of her relationships. As I mentioned a moment ago, this type of ailment and and the discharge of blood would have made her ceremonial unclean. She wasn't allowed to be around certain persons without rendering them also unclean. She wasn't allowed in the temple area because of this issue. That meant for 12 years, she was an outcast. Now, we have every right to assume that before those 12 years, she was not an outcast. And so she knew what life looked like to be more normal. She had in her mind a memory that said, I remember the good old days. 
And she thought, I'll never have them again until she met Jesus. She was hopeless in terms of her finances as well. Our passage says very clearly she spent all that she had. Now, brothers and sisters, we all know money isn't everything, but you do need a little to get by. We do have bills to pay, and you may have noticed them bills been getting bigger. Groceries been getting higher. We do need money, and when we're out of money, it puts us in a place of desperation. She had no health. She had no relationships. She had no money. She was broke. I saw a Facebook post this past week from a friend. There was two pictures. In the first picture, there was a man down on his knees, and he was praying, Oh, God, please give me a good reason to wake up early and go to work. And the second picture showed Jesus parting the skies, and he said, You're broke. (laughs) She was hopeless in her finances. Notice also, and finally, with regard to this woman, she was hopeless in her outlook, her perspective. It says in the passage, she grew, she was no better, but only grew worse. And so it wasn't as though she was content with her situation. She wasn't getting better. She was only getting worse. As low as low can be, hopeless in every important regard and getting worse. But she went to Jesus and Jesus healed her. Jesus took her broken, devastated life. He put it back together and he gave her another chance. Let me tell you, church family, you don't have to be cool to come to Jesus. You don't have to be religious to come to Jesus. You don't have to have everything together. Matter of fact, you don't have to have anything together to come to Jesus. You just have to have a little bit of hope and reach out your hand and Jesus and his power and compassion will do all the rest. You just need to believe. Jesus told her in verse 34, your faith has made you well. Now, I'm not sure if we've got anybody in this room. I don't know all your details, of course, but I'm not sure we've got anybody in this room who can say you are in as desperate of a situation as this woman was. Now, I know some of you have some difficult situations, but y'all, she had lost everything and it was only getting worse. But she went to Jesus. Not only that, she was exactly the kind of person he was looking for. If you're here this morning and you feel hopeless, I'm going to tell you, you're exactly the kind of person that Jesus is looking for. Let me share with you a final characteristic this morning of the kinds of persons that Jesus is looking for. He's also looking for the lifeless. Not only the hopeless, but the lifeless. And what I mean by that is, The final miracle in this story regards a person who had died. And Jesus saved them too. There's nothing he can't do. There's no work he cannot perform. Jesus is looking for people who cannot do anything because they are either spiritually dead or they are completely powerless on their own to change their situation. Do you know that the way that Jesus worked, Jesus bridged the heavenly and earthly divide. In himself, as a person, he was both fully God and fully man. In his ministry, he was also working on both of those planes simultaneously. And so as he heals someone physically, there's also things going on 
spiritually, as he speaks to people's spiritual lives, there's also ramifications in their physical lives. Jesus worked in both planes. So I want to tell you something. The Bible says every single person before they meet Jesus is dead spiritually. The Bible also teaches every single person one day will die physically. And so death affects all of us, and not just indirectly, but directly. Our spirits die because of the sin nature we inherit. Our, our spirits die because of the sins we ourselves commit. And then one day, even among the best of us, these bodies bearing the scars of our fallenness will break down, and we too will breathe our last breath. Who's Jesus looking for? He's looking for people who are lifeless, just like we have been. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 that we are dead in our trespasses in sin. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3 that no one is good. No, not even one. The Bible says in Romans chapter 7, nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. And I want to tell you, if that's a description of your life, you're just the kind of person that Jesus is looking for, the dead, the lifeless in our story here, Jesus shows up at something that would be similar to a funeral. They didn't have funerals back then exactly the way that we have funerals now, but at least a couple of, uh, of their, um, I don't know what you'd call it, but the way their culture responded to a death, a couple of those things are on display. Numbers of people had, had, had gathered at this person's house. That was the way they would conduct themselves when there was a death. There were weepers and wailers. There were actually people you could hire and they wouldn't come to your house and sing, you know, granny's favorite song at the funeral, but instead they would weep and wail and their songs would be songs of mourning announcing to the entire community, there has been a death. This life has ended. We must mark this somehow. And so Jesus shows up at that very scene says, when he came to the ruler's house, he saw flute players and a crowd making a commotion. That's Matthew's version of this story, a little tidbit that he offers. And in the same way that Jesus showed up when that little girl died, brothers and sisters, Jesus has shown up in our lives and found us lifeless. And if you have faith kindled in your heart to trust that Jesus Christ is your Savior, and he has resurrected your life as well. You have been saved from your sins here and now. And even though death is coming, he will save you then just the same. That's our Jesus. That's our Savior. You know, I read this past week a story of William Shatner actually going to space. You heard this? He, he, you know, apparently if you have a lot of money, you can go to space now. And he was one of a few people that went up in a rocket. I, I don't know if this was SpaceX or whichever company this was, but William Shatner, who for so many years portrayed someone who traveled to space on a TV show, Star Trek, he actually went to space. And his reflections were recorded in an interview conducted by Time Magazine. And what he had to say amazed me. He said that he expected to, to feel a sensation of jubilation. He expected that trip to be a celebration. And these are his words, but he said it felt more like a funeral. He said when he left Earth's atmosphere, right, that, that, that bubble that, that keeps us 
protected with oxygen and, and warmth. When he immediately left the atmosphere, he said he could feel the darkness and the coldness of space. And these are his, his exact words, I saw death. When he got in that rocket and, and sailed up however high he went and looked back at the earth, he saw and he felt his own mortality. He, he experienced more than any other moment in his life the frailty of what it means to be a human and just how thin the line is between life and death. And he experienced it. He said that he was very moved. He saw the smallness of humanity against the backdrop of the cosmos. And he even goes on to say in the interview that for 15 to 20 minutes, he was very emotional, even having been moved to tears. Because he saw how small he was and the reality of death. There is wisdom offered in his reflections if we will accept it. One day, people will gather together to remember our lives. And I think all of us would agree, if we're being serious and honest, it will happen sooner rather than later. This precious thing that we have called life, it will end in a very real and meaningful sense for us someday. And what will happen then? That's exactly the reason Jesus came, so that we may have life forevermore. Um, I'll never forget, it was, it was almost a year ago that one of our own, Brother Ralph Walters, passed away. Miss Barbara's here this morning. I asked Miss Barbara if, it, if I could share this with you this morning. Um, Brother Ralph, um, for those of you that remember, he found out that he had pancreatic cancer and that it was really bad. And, uh, he, and, and he found out very quickly. And it, 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 uh, it advanced against him very rapidly. And... Um, on the day when Brother Ralph was told by his doctors, they were still yet trying to figure out, you know, how, how much longer he had and, and what maybe they could do to fight back against the disease. And they went in for a follow-up, and the doctor said two weeks at the most. Five weeks, is that what they said? Five days. They told him you have five days. So he shows up thinking, I may hear some good news. They may tell me I got a year or two. They told him he had five days. Now, Brother Ralph was a friend of mine. Of course, he worked here at the church. We, he and I went hunting together a lot. We were very close. But uh, his response in the face of death is, uh, is, in my opinion, heroic and exactly what all of us who are believers in Christ should be like. He said uh, that when he left that doctor's office, actually, Miss Barbara shared this with me, not him, that Miss Barbara was with him, one of his daughters was with him, and they stopped the car for a moment just so that he could tell them, I'm ready. And didn't he say a prayer? And thank God for the life he gave him. And it would be just a few days. The day before he died, I was with him there in his bedroom. And I said, Brother Ralph, how is your faith? He said, it's strong, brother. He said, I'm ready. There was no bitterness. At least from the outside, looking in, there was no fear. 
he knew Jesus came to save us from death. If you're here this morning and there's a fear in your heart of dying, Jesus is looking for people just like you. If you're here this morning and there's a hopelessness at some dire situation in your life, Jesus is looking for people just like you. But you got one thing you need to do. You must be willing to lay down your pride and say, Jesus, I don't have anything to offer to save myself. I need you to save me. Will you bow your heads? As we reflect on this word today, on this magnificent story of our Savior Jesus, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I just want you to think for a moment and to reflect, am I the kind of person that Jesus is looking for? And I want to tell you, brother, sister, friend, you are exactly who Jesus is looking for. Would you surrender your life to him today? If you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus, let me tell you, today is the day that Jesus heals you. He makes your life whole. He gives you courage and faith in the face of death and your own mortality. Jesus can give you that today. He can do that because he loves you and because he died on the cross in your place. That's why we celebrate him. That's why we sing to him. That's why we worship him. He's done for us what we needed most, that which no one else could do. That's Jesus. And he's looking for you today. In just a moment, we're going to have a time of response. What that's going to look like is I'm going to say a prayer. I'm going to ask everyone to stand and music will play while you have the opportunity to pour your heart out to Jesus. Our altars will be open. If you, if you would, would come and just pray and give your heart to Jesus today, pour out to him whatever it is that you need, that you're longing for, you pour it out to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm willing to lay down my pride. Would you work in my life like you've worked in the life of these we have read about today? Father God, we ask for your blessing as we respond to your word now. Thank you, Jesus, that you came looking for people just like us. God, help us to lay our pride down and come to you with open hands. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Let me invite you to stand with me. The altars are open. You come. Maybe you just want to come this morning and thank God for what he did for you. Maybe you've got somebody in your life, a friend or a family member, and you know that they're hopeless or they're desperate. Maybe you want to come and just say, Jesus, would you do a work in my loved one's life? You come as the Lord leads. You be sensitive as the Spirit moves in this place.